Well, take your Bible this morning. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We'll stay here for just a moment in John 15, and we'll move to another text in just a second. But we'll start here in chapter 15 of John, and look with me at verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. It's kind of an obvious illustration that the Lord uses here. If a branch breaks off of a tree, and it's lying on the ground, eventually that branch is going to die. It has no life source anymore. It has been separated from the tree itself. So now that branch is going to wither, it's going to die, it's going to become frail, it's going to break, it's certainly not going to bring forth any fruit. And what the Lord is saying here to us and to his disciples at the time was, you've got to stay connected to me. You've got to abide in me. Because if we get separated, you can't do anything on your own. You cannot bring forth fruit on your own in your life. You've got to stay connected with me. And our goal, obviously, as a Christian, ought to be to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? Well, look down at verse number eight. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Look down at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. God's desire for our lives is that we would bring forth fruit. In Romans chapter 7, wherefore my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him that raised him from the dead, that ye should henceforth bring forth fruit. It's God's desire in our life that we would be fruitful. Now, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus told a story about a man who planted a vineyard. And he walked out in that vineyard one day, and he came to a fig tree. And he sought fruit thereon, and he found none. The Lord Jesus Christ has placed us into his vineyard. And I wonder, as he comes into the vineyard of West Coast Baptist College this morning and looks at me and looks at you, as that man looked at that fig tree, seeking fruit, what does he find? Are we fruitful? Or does he find none? Over the next week or so, we are going to have some wonderful opportunities to bear fruit. We're going to have some wonderful opportunities to see God use us to bring forth fruit, to reproduce ourselves 
But in order to do that, Jesus said we've got to be connected to him. We've got to abide in him. Pretty simple concept when you think about a tree and its branches. If the branches become severed, there's not going to be any fruit. The branch has to stay connected to the vine or to the tree in order to bring forth fruit. So if we want to have some fruit next weekend at the hunt, if we want to have some fruit as a result of our opportunities to serve on Easter weekend, then we've got to stay connected to Jesus Christ. We've got to abide in him. But what does that mean? I'm saved. Isn't that enough? What does it mean to abide in him? He's speaking to his disciples. So they are already followers of Christ, just as we are followers of Christ. We are disciples of Christ. We are saved. And, and most of us in this room have gone even maybe a step beyond that and said, Lord, here's my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to serve you. So what does it mean to abide in him? Just to be saved doesn't guarantee fruit. Just to be a disciple apparently doesn't guarantee fruit because Jesus said, you've got to abide to bring forth fruit. So does the Bible explain somewhere what that is? What is abiding? Well, let's go back to Psalms. Go back to Psalms chapter 15. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And I want you to look with me at Psalm 15. Because in Psalm 15, I believe the Bible gives us four key components to abiding. And I don't know if the Lord Jesus had this psalm in mind as he spoke in John 15, but God had already outlined a plan or outlined a program for abiding in him. And so let's take a look at it there in verse number one. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? So here's the question being posed. What does it mean to abide? Lord, who, who is an, uh, uh, someone who is abiding in you? Who is someone that is, is, is abiding in your presence, in your tabernacle? Who is it that is abiding in that place of a holy hill? Well, he gives us four key components now in answering that question. First of all, in verse 2, he speaks of a consistent character. He says, he that walketh uprightly. He that walketh uprightly. Walking would indicate something continuous. Walking would indicate something consistent. Walking uprightly would indicate something that would be in tune with God, God-like, Christ-like. So walking uprightly. College students, next Friday night, we can't just flip a switch and say, okay, we're going to go get a bunch of kids saved. We're going to go have a hunt tomorrow. 
We're, 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 we're going to have a big Easter weekend. So Friday night, boy, let's, let's put on our, our spiritual britches. And let's see what God can do. No. Walking indicates something that's consistently in place. Walking indicates that way back before that opportunity to serve comes where there might be some fruit, there's got to be a consistent character. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? In other words, if you're looking for grapes, they're not going to grow on a thorn tree. If you're looking for figs, you're not going to go searching for them among thistles. In other words, the fruit's just not going to come out of something that doesn't produce that fruit. So, so God is saying here, if we're going to abide, we've got to have a consistent character in our life. And God, I think, would like us for, to take a moment today, a week before the hunt, a week, two weeks before Easter, and say, wait a minute, I want fruit on those days. We're praying for fruit. Boy, we want God to do a great work. We hear Brother Fleming up here talking about thousands of people coming, hundreds of people in these various groups coming to hear the gospel. Yes, I want that to happen. Well, wait a minute. Figs aren't going to come out of thistles. Grapes aren't going to come from thorns. So are we of a consistent character? You see, the message cannot be separated from the messenger. Our message is pure. Our message is true. Our message changes lives. But you can't separate the message from the messenger. They work one and the same. The bread of life served with dirty hands is not attractive. The water of life served in a dirty cup will be rejected. That's why Paul told Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. See, you're, you're, you're in class day after day after day. What are you doing? You're taking heed unto the doctrine. You're learning the doctrines. You're in Bible class. You're in, you're, in, you're in classes that are teaching you the Word of God. And that's so important. And Timothy was well taught in the doctrine. But long before that, Paul said, listen, Timothy, you've got to take heed to yourself. Because the messenger and the message have to be in sync for there to be fruit. Keep thyself pure. Physician, heal thyself. If we aren't of consistent character, we may get a crowd here for the hunt. We may get a crowd here for our services, but if we're not of consistent character, they're never going to listen to the message. Do you honestly think that a, a visitor on Easter Sunday morning, if they're sitting behind you during a service where pastor is preaching the gospel that can change their life? and you're on your phone in that service playing a game, do you really think they're going to listen to the message? Do you really think that will happen? Do you really think that all the boys and girls will be on this campus for the hunt 
and, and somebody gets up and shares that good news of the gospel, do you really think they're going to get saved if they hear you say freaking? Or, oh my God. They hear you saying the same thing. They hear out there, it makes no difference. They don't say, I don't need this message. Because the message and the messenger have to work together. In order for us to abide in Christ, there must be a consistent character. Dr. Bill Rice was an evangelist and he traveled, one of the first evangelists had traveled with his family. And uh, he had his family with him in a revival and the church had arranged for them to stay in an apartment building about two blocks from the church. And so they would walk every night with their children to the services and, and uh, preach and have the meeting. And one night after the service, one of the children was a little fussy. They were small and they were kind of fussy and not feeling well apparently or needed to get, a, get to bed. And so Mrs. Rice, Kathy Rice, she went up to her husband as he was shaking hands and she said, honey, I'm going to take the kids home. They're a little fussy. I'm going to go ahead and go. He said, okay, I'll, I'll catch up with you in a, in a few minutes. And so she walked those few blocks to home and, or to the apartment where they were staying and, and uh, got them into bed and so on. And, and then 15, 20 minutes later or so, Dr. Rice uh, made his way from the church back to that apartment. When he walked in, his wife said, uh, honey, the kids are asleep and, and all is good. But she said, uh, we, 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 we could use a couple of things for breakfast tomorrow. Would you mind uh, going and getting some milk and some bread uh, and some eggs for breakfast in the morning. He said, oh, yeah, I'd be glad to. He said, there's a little store just, just down the street. And he said, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just walk down there. And uh, He said, I, I want to just thank the Lord for the good service tonight. I'll use that time to just talk to the Lord. And so he grabbed his wallet, headed out the door. He said, I'll be back in a couple minutes. He walked that few blocks to that little, little grocery there in the corner, went inside, and he grabbed a loaf of bread, and he got some eggs out of the out of the refrigerated section, got a gallon of milk, and he walked up to the counter there and he placed the items there. And uh, he was waiting for the woman to, you know, check him out, and she began to add up the totals there on the register. And after she had dialed in all three items, she reached down under the counter and she pulled out a Playboy magazine and she placed it on the counter in front of Dr. Rice. And she said, would you like anything else? And he bounced his eyes. I mean, as soon as he saw it, he bounced his eyes upward. And he said, oh, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Just, just the bread, the milk, and the eggs, please. She reached down and she pushed the Playboy magazine a little bit closer to him. She said, are you sure? He said, oh, absolutely, ma'am. Please. Just, just the items. She took the magazine, put it back under the counter, gave him the total, he paid the money, she gave him a change and bagged the items and he headed for the door. As he reached for the handle of the door to go out, she said, have a good evening, Evangelist Rice. She had been in the service that night. And she decided to check to see if the messenger matched the message. To abide in him so that we can bring forth fruit. The psalmist tells us first, we must walk uprightly, a consistent character. 
But notice, secondly, he goes on in verse 2, and he speaks about a courageous cause. In verse 2, he says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. To abide in Christ, then, means to be absorbed in his cause. To be laboring for his cause, who worketh righteousness. In other words, again, the uprightly, the righteousness, they all go together to, to give us a description of who God is. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is, he is without sin. And so God says we've got to walk uprightly, but then we've got to work in that righteousness. We've got to be consumed with this idea of serving God, to be absorbed in it. To not just be doing a duty once a week or, 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 or satisfying someone's requirement or just saying, yeah, I got to get that done, check that off my list. No, we've got to be absorbed with the cause that God has given to us of getting the gospel to this world. It's interesting, in the New Testament, we read about Jesus' birth. And a few chapters are devoted there to that time just prior to Jesus' birth, and then the birth of Christ, and then a few verses with respect to Herod trying to kill all the children, and you know the wise men, the shepherds coming, and all those stories that we hear at Christmas. But then, then the, the New Testament kind of goes silent about Christ, and all of a sudden we, we get into you know, the third or fourth chapter of the Gospels, and now we're in Jesus' ministry. You know, he's, he's 30 years old and he's, he's doing some miracles to prove who he is. He's calling his disciples. He's, he's starting his ministry tour. And, and so we have this gap in the scripture between the time Jesus was about two years old until he's 30 years old. We, we don't have anything about his life except for one time. You remember when it was? He was 12. And his, and his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph went up to Jerusalem to the, to the feast. And the Bible tells us they traveled in a group. There were a number of people in this group, perhaps for fellowship, maybe for protection, safety, maybe, maybe uh, you know, accountability. I, I don't know what the reason they traveled in groups, but we read other places where people were robbed and, and uh, beat up and so on as they would travel in those days. And so perhaps more for security or protection. They're traveling in this group. They go up to Jerusalem. They celebrate the feast. Jesus is 12 years old, and he goes along with his parents, human parents, up to Jerusalem. After the feast, the Bible says they returned home, and they're traveling again in this group of people. And they got a day's journey, the Bible says, and suddenly they realized we've lost God. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to leave your wallet at home. It's one thing to leave your keys somewhere where you can't find them. But when you lose God, that's pretty bad. And all of a sudden there's this panic, you know, and, and, and Joseph says, Mary, uh, uh, where's Jesus? Uh, I don't know. Last time I saw him, he was with you. Well, well, when was that? Well, when we left Jerusalem. Left Jerusalem? Mary, are you kidding me? That was a day ago. That was 24 hours ago. Where is he? Uh, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? I mean, they, they go into panic mode. And suddenly they realize, you know, like you do when you don't have your keys or you don't have your wallet or your cell phone, where did I last have it? Right? And you retrace your steps. And in their mind, they retrace their steps. And the last time they could think anybody saw him was, in the, was back at the Jerusalem. 
So they thought he's still there. So man, they hurried back. And where did they find him? In the temple. And he's sitting there as a 12-year-old boy, and he's teaching the religious leaders. He's answering their questions. They're asking him questions. He's asking them questions. And, and, and he's teaching them the Bible as a 12-year-old kid. Of course, he was, he was God. He wrote the Bible. So he's teaching them. And, and Mary comes in. Now, I say this all the time when I'm preaching, but the Bible is a book. You have to read the Bible. You, you can't go back home and watch the Bible. You have to read the Bible. But to understand the Bible, you have to provide your own video sometimes. You have to provide your own audio sometimes. Because otherwise, the Bible is dull. It's boring. You, you've got to have a video going in your head. You've got to see these stories. So, so Jesus is sitting there. He's talking to all these religious leaders. And Mary comes up. And these are the words. This is what you read in the Bible. Son, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Where hast thou been? Those are the words. <laughs> but you've got to provide some emotion there, right? You've got to provide some visual. You've got to provide some emotion. And, and, and I'm sure she said, son, where have you been? Are you okay? Are you okay, son? Where have you been? Oh, we were so worried. We were worried sick. Right? Like the lady that lost her kid at Walmart, you know. Will Jerry please report to the register? You know, your mother is missing you. And do you remember what Jesus said in that moment to his mother? He said, how is it that you sought me? Wist you not that I must be about my father's business? You see, Jesus was consumed with the mission that he knew he was on our earth to accomplish. And I realize we're a long way from God. We're a long stretch from where God was, where Jesus was in his, in his perfect uh, mind, body, and all the rest. But friends, when we get saved, we got to get consumed with this idea of why am I here? Why am I saved? Why am I in Bible college? Why am I training? What am I supposed to be doing? I love what it says about the young King Josiah in 2 Kings 22 and verse 2. He was just a young boy as he comes to the throne at the age of eight. But the Bible says in verse 2 there, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Josiah got consumed with the way in which he was supposed to walk as a, as a, as a godly king and he was consumed with bringing that nation to a point of revival and under the reign of Josiah for 31 years the nation of Israel experienced wonderful revival. Why? Because they had a king that got consumed with, with a courageous spirit to follow God. And we've got to have some young people today that aren't just walking around this campus saying, whatever. What are you doing today? Whatever. But being here on purpose. Being here with intention. Being here, I'm, I'm training to serve God. I'm training to bring glory to God in my life. And the way I bring glory to God is by bearing fruit. I don't want him to look at me and find none. And I may not be on honor roll, and I may not have cords when I graduate, and I may barely graduate. It may take me seven years to graduate. I don't care. I just want to glorify God and bring some fruit. And we've got to be consumed with that as we go into the hunt. We've got to be consumed with that as we go into the Easter weekend. 
What are we turning aside to? In college, you can turn aside your studies. You can turn aside to video games. You can turn aside to your friends. You can turn aside to sleep. You can turn aside to your flesh. We've got some people like Josiah who will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. But like Paul say, none of these things move me that I might finish, that I might finish that course that God has set before me to abide in Christ, that I might bring forth fruit. So we see a courageous cause. But notice thirdly, a circumcised conscience. In verse two, he says, he that walketh brightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth, notice this, in his heart. In his heart. Sometimes we learn to say the right things with our mouth. And yet while we say the right things with our lips, we can be deceived in our heart. The most common deception that God speaks about in the Bible is the deception of our own heart. It's amazing how many times when God talks about being deceived, he talks about deceiving our own selves. Now, we can be deceived by Satan. He's good at it. He's the master deceptor. We can be deceived by sin. Sin offers pleasure. It offers fun. It offers a lot of things. We can be deceived by that. We can be deceived by success. Success has a a fulfillment, a satisfaction to it that, that can deceive us. We can be deceived by sensuality. We can be deceived by possessions. We can be deceived by a lot of things. But we got to be careful, most of all, that we don't deceive ourselves. How do we keep from being deceived? Well, we've got to have a circumcised conscience. We've got to stay tender. We've got to stay uh, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to us about. Let's not get to the place as a college when, when we get you know, a, little, a little time under our belt. We've been here now, you know, even freshmen. We feel like you know, we've been in college for a while now. and We've sat through countless chapels and we've been in the dorm and we've been in our classes and, 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 and now we're an a, a, a authentic Bible college student. But remember, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. The hardest people to the truth I have found over these years of preaching are not people in the prison. They're not people living on the street. Often the hardest people to truth are people in our churches. And God tells us why. Because the more we're reproved, the more we hear it, the more we can build up the calluses on our heart. If you don't swing a hammer, and I don't, I don't swing a hammer for a living. I have a hammer, I have two actually, on my workbench at home. I use them occasionally. If I use a hammer for an hour or two, I get blisters because I'm not used to using a hammer. Now there's some people in our church that use a hammer every day and they got calluses Man like Earl Husband's got some calluses. Man like Brother Aaron Fisher, he's got some calluses on his hand. Why? Because he works with his hands all day. He's built up that resistance. 
you've been in Bible college for a while. Have you worked up some resistance? Have you got some calluses on your heart? Is chapel starting to get a little old? Church services, yeah, slip in, slip out. What'd they preach on? I don't know. This people draw nigh to me with their mouth. With their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me. If we're going to abide in Christ, we've got to have a circumcised heart. We've got to have a tender heart. We've got to take away the foreskins off of our heart. We can't afford to become stiff-necked and hardened to the things that God is trying to teach us. Abiding in Christ means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God in your conscience. We want people on that Saturday and that Sunday when they hear the gospel to be sensitive. We, we, we're going to be sitting there praying, God, open their heart. God, let them get saved. Lord, help me to be able to win them. Lord, uh, help the kids to be quiet. Help them to listen now to the preacher. Help them to listen to this song. Lord, open their heart, open their heart. Well, for two weeks before, we hardened ours. It's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. We've got to walk uprightly. We, we've got to uh, work righteousness. We've got to speak the truth in our heart. And then notice finally a careful communication in verse 3. He that backbiteth. Remember, he's, he's answering the question, who shall abide? Who shall dwell? He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He's speaking now of this careful communication, this careful conversation. You see, abiding has a lot to do with our relationship with Christ. But it also has a lot to do with our relationship with the rest of the branches on the tree. You can't adore the shepherd and abhor the sheep. And if we say, well, I, I love God, but I'm having a hard time with my roommate, or I'm having a hard time with so-and-so, or I just don't like that person, or I, I, I just, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got this bitterness, or I've got this unforgiveness, and I'm not changing. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth his brother, loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Feed my sheep. Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, lovest thou me? He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Peter, feed my sheep. You see, abiding doesn't just have to do with our connection to him. It has to do with our connection to each other. To be at odds with someone means to be alienated from God. To be alienated from a person means that we're not abiding in Christ. And someone not abiding in Christ cannot bring forth fruit. 
So let the Holy Spirit of God help each of us today in advance of an opportunity to bear fruit, to think back a little bit and say, okay, in a week, in two weeks, when God looks at me at the end of it all and I'm gonna be tired, I'm gonna be worn out from running around with those kids and helping in some ministry someplace, but I want God when he comes by my dorm room, I want him to find fruit. And it will happen. It will happen in every life in here. If in advance of it, we'll learn to abide in him.